Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. Pink Midnight. Yes, thank you. Crossword puzzle clues scattered this way and that, men hiding in the shadows, conversations overheard, filtered through the eyes of a little girl, a man wandering through the dark with supersonic hearing, blind, lost, but in need of constant puzzles. The last thing a dead man sees, the subjective camera work, You are the killer. You are walking around in the killer's shoes. Dario Argento wants you to believe this. Dario Argento is with you. He is wearing the killer's gloves. He is the killer's voice. And you, the viewer, are somehow complicit in this experience. She wears a white dress on a marble white staircase. She wanders away from the scene. Who will she be? Will she be the directress? murderer role? Will she be the femme fatale? Will she be a friendly one? Will she wander through the enigma? He spirals out of control once the train hits him, but the paparazzi moves on immediately to the starlet a few cars down, and he continues to spiral somewhere else beneath the tracks, down, down, spiraling like an unrolling web, like an unrolling carpet, spiraling downward and downward. Red eyes of desire in the dark room. A strangulation occurs. Twin scalpel marks on a face after an extreme close-up the dread of dying, and then a cut to the photograph of the man being pushed 
before the train. Dario Argento has said that this is his least favorite film, although it was quoted before he'd made some of his later works, which are reviled. Particularly his uh, version of Dracula is supposed to be uh, not ideal. Wallpaper that looks like blood dripping down and gold moves then on to a gay bar scene. One of the commentators states that he has never seen a man affix himself with makeup in a gay bar. So perhaps he considers that a bit tasteless, but nonetheless, there is this representation and it could be perceived as edgy for the time. Hidden in the locket is the secret contained within the eye, what the eye doesn't wish to see, buried away in the locket. It will later be a clue that the puzzle maker would like to imbue and incorporate into his ideal game, an everlasting game. The writer describes Dario Argento as very open and amiable at the time when he approached him to write this film, The Cat of Nine Tales said he was living in a beautiful attic, one of those great pasta-making families. So you can imagine maybe the scent of homemade pasta wafting up into that beautiful attic as he dreamed up. First, a kind of homage to Easy Rider, which never went anywhere, and then Cat of Nine Tails. The screenwriter talks about other films that never came to fruition, including a film about murderous apes, which was to take place 600,000 years ago, uh, sort of a murder mystery with apes, but uh, that was never made. The interview with the writer, the uncredited writer of The Cat of Nine Tails, is definitely not to be missed on this New Arrow Blu-ray box set type of deal. Uh, he claims that Dario Argento kind of stole the idea and he relays a story about how when he was not paid, he went and saw Dario Argento's father and he did something sketchy with the receipts and then uh, the writer picked up a desk and slammed it down and eventually he was paid. Uh, I think it was a million lira. And then there were further problems where Dario Argento started telling the story to the press about how he had had a nightmare maybe from indigestion when he was in Algeria and had this semi-dream about the film and had to write it down as fast as possible. So a great, dramatic, uh, Edgar Allan Poe-esque story, but yet not the truth, according to the writer in the film. So uh, this is definitely an interview worth checking out. He's very eloquent and has some great stories that differ from uh, Argento's memory of the events. Red eyes magnified by the light of the hanging in the dark room. The filters magnification processes, the distortions of the camera itself. In his autobiography, Dario Argento reflects on some aspects of the Arno character, excellently played by Carl Malden in the film. The name of the crossword puzzler, Arno, came from the time I was thinking of filming The Bird with the Crystal Plumage in Turin. Whilst I was staying there, I had come across an unusual character, a kind of clairvoyant who went by the name of Arno. 
when I told him I was a director just starting out, waiting for my chance to be behind a movie camera, he was able to foresee a series of things that had since been happening with frightening accuracy. He told me the exact date I was to start filming, even though we were forced to postpone the start of filming, and above all, he managed, goodness knows how, to recognize that my films, that my film yet to exist, would go on to be loved more by people abroad than in Italy. I don't believe in the supernatural. As a cultural phenomenon, it fascinates me, yes. In the preparatory phase of Suspiria, I studied various famous esoteric tests, like those French ones from the 1920s and 30s. But I do believe in coincidences and in twists of fate. For example, in my family, there was a psychic, Uncle Francesco, my grandmother's brother. He was the priest in a little town on Lake Tresmeno, and in that area, he was very well known as a healer. For years, he had gone around the whole of Umbria collecting the recipes for potions relied on by poor people who could not afford a real doctor, or who may not even have suspected that official medicines existed. He had discovered some ancient recipes from the 7th and 8th centuries and had realized many herbs used for medicinal purposes were, in effect, powerful even in the treatment of some types of serious illness. He started to make up these potions and after a bit of experimenting, learned they really worked. In the beginning, he, he healed little old ladies with his parish, within his parish, but in time, word spread, and due to demand, he started to sell his concoctions. He became so famous that when, as a young man, I went to visit Uncle Francesco with my grandmother, there was always a long queue outside the vestry of people who came from all over Italy. It was like being in the presence of an Indian holy man. He was very well respected. It was said he even healed a woman suffering from cancer. She had become very devoted to him and was almost a slave. He used the money he received to renovate the church, founded a cinema, and undertook many acts of charity to improve the life of the community. Then the Archbishop Bishop of Perguia started to become suspicious of him and kept him under surveillance. Apart from healings, Uncle Francesco started to conduct numerous studies in radio estresia, dowsing, the practice through which, by means of an object, it's possible to detect the energy transmitted by inanimate objects. And so, through the oscillations of a little pendulum, it seemed he could manage to locate lost objects. Hence, he got the name The Magician. It's understandable why the church had put him under the magnifying glass. They thought he was practicing some kind of witchcraft. In the end, they took the church away from him, packed him off to a convent, and confiscated all his books and formulas, even the herbs with which he'd made up his potions. Today, many of these documents can be found in the archbishop's library in Perguia. They're not, necess they're not readily accessible, and it's not easy to consult them. Unfortunately, not even I, the magician's great-nephew, have been granted permission to see them. Therefore, even though I have always doubted the significance doting individuals attribute to supernatural powers, I strongly believe in the capacity of being human. That's why I christened Arno, the character played by Carl Malden, as a clairvoyant. It is often said that visually impaired people develop other senses in impressive ways. During the series of events told in the film, what the journalist sees or thinks he sees is nothing in comparison to what the blind man picks up on. It's not by mere chance that he is a skilled crossword puzzler. The booklet contains an interview that Argento gave to Sight and Sound back in 1996. I used Carl Malden for the part of Arno, having seen him in a number of films, and he was one of the best people I've ever worked with, a wonderful actor and a good person. It is important that his character is blind, as the blind have a different sensibility, a second sight which reaches beyond the things we see or hear. 
The blind man thinks in the dark. There is one scene where we see Arno making up a crossword puzzle on the kind of grid. His senses are acutely primed, and as he puts the pieces together, he hears something happening in the road below. The film cuts ambiguously between the shot of him at work and the events occurring at the Institute. The viewer may interpret the following shots as either revealing Arno's thought process, the visual reconstruction within his mind's eye, or showing what the killer in fact sees at the point in time. The concept of vision is key to the film. In the murder sequences, only the eye of the killer is seen, and we follow his actions as viewed through that eye. At one point, Arno tries to persuade a reporter, Carlo Giordani, James Franciscus, the other detective in this, to enlarge an image from a newspaper, suspecting that this will reveal more of the crime. He suggests this even though he cannot see the image. A scene in the darkroom follows. While the idea may appear reminiscent of Blow Up, Michelangelo Antonioni, 1966, it in fact came from my childhood. My mother was a very famous photographer, and so I spent a lot of time in her studio when I was a child. I watched her processing, and sometimes I would help. It was fascinating to go back to this location, so haunted by childhood memories. I think Troy Howarth gets at some of the pluses and negative aspects of the film in this quote. It's very easy for filmmakers to speak longingly of how they had a masterpiece in their mind, but due to interference, they ended up with a piece of dreck. Certainly, this is not the case with The Cat of Nine Tails. Even if it emerges as a more problematic picture than Argento-directed movies which flank it. If we read between the lines, it seems evident that the central thrust of the plot, which deals with the case of industrial espionage, as opposed to the usual deviant killer in black, was engineered by Argento as a sort of vaffunculo to the producers, who were encouraging him to repackage more of the same. The irony in this is that Argento arguably spent the bulk of his career doing exactly that on his own terms. But that is the point. What he chooses to do versus what he is being told to do may not always be in sync, as it were. There's little denying that the main plot thread is the film's least appetizing component, and yes, this certainly hobbles the end result somewhat. What the main gist of the story lacks in interest, however, is mercifully compensated for by some marvelous characterizations, judicious doses of good humor, bravura technique, and some sidebar incidents which really pick up the slack. The pink drool hideously hiccuped into the carpet. The carpet sucking the last traces of breath, sweeping death from life and back and forth and through again. So just to sum things up, red eyes, deranged puppeteer, broken clocks, broken mind, animatographer, red eyes, scorched eyes, the leaking milk and fortune cooking shapes. I have some milk which is leaking, the milk leaks sweeter than our song, twin milks and we are hypnotized, bloody drool on rooftops with perfectly parallel designs. Thank you for tuning in to Pink Midnight. We hope you have enjoyed your stay in this haunted hotel, in this 
abandoned palace and this opulent field of nowhere grass.